Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast and I'm your host Scott Wiley and today we're going to be talking about Navy SEALs and we are joined once again by Andy Gorham. Andy has been on the show twice before, he joined me to talk about writing wrongs way back when the show hadn't even started airing yet and he was on, what, two weeks ago to talk about 2022's The Batman. Now this episode was actually filmed or recorded before we talked about Batman, but the Batman episode was originally going to be a bonus episode, but then it was kind of like, well, in all honesty, let's just put it out as a normal episode. So it kind of skipped the queue, which is why you're hearing Andy again so soon, but we love having Andy on, so it doesn't matter. This was also Andy's pick, which he's going to explain when I throw you over as to why he wanted to talk about it and why he picked it, and I'm looking forward to you guys listening to it. We also go off topic a fair amount in this uh, this is the first time I've ever considered, well, no, I have. I've cut out a significant portion of our off-topic conversation because we went so off-topic. Even I was sort of going, yeah, I, I, this is nothing to do with films at this point. It's interesting, but it's really got nothing to do with anything. <laughs> so, trust me, the stuff that's in this is the stuff I chose to leave in because it is still to do with films, the industry, and... Kind of the state of film, uh, a couple of things you might have heard in previous episodes, but again, different guests, different perspectives, so it's always good to hear multiple people's opinions on topics. Navy Seals is a 1990 action film that stars Charlie Sheen and Michael Bean, as well as Dennis Haysbert and Bill Paxton and a few other people. It also stars uh, Joanne Wally? Whaley? I'm not entirely sure how you say her name, which is unusual, but hey, it happens to everyone. It was directed by Lewis Teague and it had a budget of about $20 million. So this is a bit of a weird film, as you'll hear us discuss. We certainly like it, but we also think it does some weird things with one of its main characters, with choices that it makes in how it chooses to present certain aspects, but we'll get into that in just a moment, but... Yeah, if you've not seen this film, I wouldn't necessarily say you're missing out on a hidden gem, but I also wouldn't say it's a terrible film. Let me give you over to myself and Andy so you can hear our thoughts in full. See you for the outro, guys. Okay, and we're here. We're live. We're in the room. Or we're pre-recorded, depending on your point of view. But either way, we're joined once again by Andy. And today we're going to be talking about Navy Seals, which is actually a film that you picked. So I thought, why don't you tell us why? Oh, thank you, sir. Well, first off, thank you for having me back. It's great to be back. Um, hopefully people actually listen to this one, unlike our last one, which is actually a classic hit. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this one, which is kind of why I wanted to talk about it. Um, but I don't know, 1990... I was 10 when I saw this. I was probably 11 or 12 because I had to, I, my, my parents were going to take me to a rated R movie at 10. So I had to wait to rent it when I went to stay the night at my, 
uh, friend's house, and his parents were a lot less uh, rule following. So we went and uh, rented this, and I absolutely loved it. Of course, I was 11. Who wouldn't love Navy SEALs running around, shooting guns, swimming, doing all sorts of stuff? So I was th- I thought to myself, I'm like, nobody's talking about this movie, and it's a fun action movie. A ton of other movies from the 90s get mentioned all the time. Face Off, uh, The Rock, you know, Con Air, n- numerous ones. So I figured, let's just talk about an obscure movie where Michael Bain actually stars in it and lives through the entire thing. Spoilers. He lives through the entire thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, actually. He is, yeah, he is one of those actors that has that curse as time went on. He is the quintessential movie Navy SEAL. <laughs> and yes. I think you can all you can almost follow his career through these movies. Like, Navy SEALs could be, his character could be the same character he plays in The Rock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would kind of suck, though, because he dies in The Rock. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. But, but, but he, he does die with such an awesome, epic way. <laughs> oh, yeah, way. no, that, that is true. I just ha- I was just thinking to myself when you were saying, you know, he's the guy that dies in every film. How did we not get a film where Michael Bean and Sean Bean went up against each other? I mean, exactly. It, it would have ended with both of them probably just <laughs> tripping over a rock and dying. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> fans of uh, Bean would have been mad and fans of Bean would have been bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But yeah, um, no, I agree. It's funny though, because because it was it came out in 1990. It was obviously made in the 80s, and right. when I rewatched it, I knew it technically is a 90s film, but it really feels like an 80s film. <laughs> totally the, feels like an 80s film from the dialogue to the soundtrack. That the soundtrack. There's some things that Charlie Sheen says where I'm just like, it's cringeworthy now because I totally forgotten about that when I was a kid. But I'm just like. Oh, you're not supposed to use those kind of words when talking about other people. <laughs> no. Oh, yes, yes. I know what scene you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There's two in particular where he upsets Joanne Wiley Kilmer. Or I think it's just Wiley now. Um, but uh, and I'm just like and I remember when I was watching it again for this because I had picked it. I was just like, oh, I, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So Andy obviously has seen this film before, but I was watching this film for the first time. I'll be honest. I'd heard of this film. But I, I, I remember when you said it to me and I was like, how have I never seen a film that stars Michael Bean and Charlie Sheen together in a big action thing? And then when I actually watched the film, it's also got David Haysbert and Bill Paxton. And it was kind of like, yeah. why is no one talk about this film? And then obviously, as the film went on, I think I kind of got my answer, especially if you're there for Bill Paxton, because I think he has like two lines <laughs> in the whole film. It, it, right. I even I made a note that it's like, I don't know how they managed to make him so uncharismatic, but it really does feel like anytime his character went to speak, the editor went, no, and just moved on to the next sequence. Because <laughs> there are times when he like takes in a deep breath, like he's going to say something and then moving on. <laughs> he does have a really awesome 80s mustache, though. He does. <laughs> he's, he's very... and, and he has the most cool call name for a sniper ever, God. Just because if you're in trouble, who do you call? <laughs> It, that and, that made me laugh for for a slightly personal reason. I don't know if you're. Um, I think we had this conversation last time, but I don't know if you ever played a, a series of games called XCOM. I've I I know of them, but I haven't d- okay. dived deep into them. No, no, no. It's it's fine. But um, I found it funny because when I was playing the reboot that Firaxis did, uh, I had a sniper and I nicknamed him Zeus. And when they called <laughs> this one God, I was like, "Ha! Huh, similar wavelengths." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. So th- this was your first time seeing it. 
Uh, what were your thoughts on the movie in general and action in it? Because it was, like you said, a very 80s action movie at a time where Arnold and Sylvester Stallone kind of ruled the theaters. We got these guys who aren't huge, aren't jacked. They actually look the part. Now, I don't know. We could ask our uh, buddy Chris Barreras if this is uh, tactically sound, <laughs> and I know he would literally <laughs> fall th- out of his chair if I asked him that. I was going to say, I think I can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you see somebody running in with their guns and arms fully extended out, and I was just like, oh, okay, my, uh, my son is a big um, history buff, and he came out while I was watching it, and one scene, he literally just started laughing. He goes, is that their tactics? I was like, yep. But you know what? I don't watch this movie for tactics. There's certain movies I know are not going to be tactically accurate. This is one of them, and I know that going in. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think one shot has anything to worry about. <laughs> not at all. No. And you know what? We don't need. I think Liam mentioned it, and I don't want to give him credit. Um, as we know on Twitter, he's all of our heels or our uh, heel. But uh, we do tend to nowadays the focus is on tactical accuracy, and sometimes I just want a guy to punch shoot somebody in the gut like when charlie sheen that guy rounds the corner and he punches him with his gun and shoots at the same time (laughs) oh my sorry my favorite moment of the entire thing was uh when they're on the boat and the one of the the bad guys takes the hostage and charlie holds his his machine gun with one arm starts putting it down and he's like no no it's fine and then you know, they have a little bit of a dialogue exchange and then without even aiming, without raising the gun, he just pulls the trigger and gets a clean headshot with no <laughs> no recoil, no real aim, no control. It's like, mm, okay. <laughs> but not, it's not only, that, not only that, the guy that the hostage face is right next to him. Like the way the guy's holding it. Yep. <laughs> it's it's not like a Robocop when he shoots through her dress and takes no. the guy out. I'm just sitting there, I'm like, that's very dangerous there, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> I, I if you know so I think I'm going to address the elephant in the room, which we kind of we were talking before we started recording and we kind of mentioned it, which is that it's really difficult to like Charlie Sheen in this film. I mean, I'm sure there are people that do, but even the 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 certain scenes of blatant racism notwithstanding, he's really difficult to take seriously in any capacity, like you were saying about the tactics. Never mind the ones that are at least trying to look like they're trying to be tactical. He literally strolls through the middle of the street, holding his gun in one arm, just like he's going for a midnight walk. And everyone else is looking at him like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's just like, yeah, it's fine. I got this. I can take on the whole world. And I'm like, how did you become a SEAL? How are you on this team? Like, I know that, you know, you were just saying he doesn't have to be realistic, but I need it to be on planet Earth, you know? <laughs> Correct. No, that's where I was going to then carry, you know, take that forward. Yes, you're right. He is the absolute worst seal that has ever sealed. Um, he, he, There's numerous times where he's told to do something. And when he disobeys order, his 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 teammates sitting there with their gun pointed and they just kind of look at him and go, ah, Hawkins is going rogue again. And it's like, this is his, his like M.O. And yep. I'm like, no kick him off the team <laughs> yeah i thought that like the first time it was kind of like all right so he he didn't hold position when he was supposed to that, that, that that's fine I, I guess that's not too bad but then another time it was like he blatantly disobeys a direct order from the co and you're like there's no way he'd still be on that team when they got back there's there's and they just like don't even talk about it it's like oh yeah that's just how we roll no it isn't 
that's like the, the 101. If you can't follow orders in a big tactics team where your guns and bullets are going off, how can you trust the people around you? It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> when the utter safety of your team is paramount and you disregard orders and and we'll get to it later, what happens to one of our, one of my actual favorite characters in the movie yeah. is the most irritating thing in the world because they never address it. I mean, sure, people get mad at him for what he does. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, he is, he, from the very start, they're driving to Dennis Haysbert's wedding. And he's like, are you sure you want to, you want to do this, Billy? I mean, are you really willing to settle the rest of your life like this? And then he jumps out of the Jeep over a bridge into the water below. Cause he's like, I can't be a part of this. I'm like, he's your friend and your uh, teammate. No, you can be a part of it. <laughs> you selfish yeah, prick. I, I kind of saw the comedy in that, but I that do agree. Too. I was like. I thought that was kind of like a one-off, but no, that's like his whole character is like that. Like there is no real care for his friends. They try and like make out that he does care deep down, but it's it comes off so hollow and fake. Like it's got nothing to do with wanting to be there for his friend and everything to do with the fact that he feels a bit of guilt and doesn't like it, you know? Right, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's more the fact that this makes me feel bad, so I don't want to do that again, as opposed to the external of, I caused one of my teammates to die. I should. That's the reason I should be mad. This what happened to him and his family, not how how I feel. So, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, as you've just said, he to top off everything, because there's so many things he does that wound me up. But yes, he does cause a death of a fellow seal during a mission by completely disobeying the orders that were given and kind of proving the point of why it's important to not do that. That's why the exactly. chain of command exists. To, to, they literally give you a textbook example of why this shit doesn't get allowed to fly. Exactly. And here we are, two non-military guys talking about military. So I want to <laughs> I, I want to apologize to any of my friends who have military background who listen to this. We are just saying what we think and what we feel because I know if I was part of a team and my life and death depended on my teammates, nobody would want him on the team. Everybody else follows does what they're supposed to do and i know it's the 80s and it was that cool kind of action hero thing because there's to be fair there's a lot of quips like after that one scene you actually talk about where he lowers his gun and yeah. then shoots the terrorist in the head he literally because the guy literally says something about her um his, his fellow teammate is actually translating for him and he goes oh he just said he just said something about your mom and then he shoots him in the head and he just goes nobody nobody talks bad about mom i was like oh first off not a very good line and secondly I, I I read one uh, review which made me laugh. They're like, there's not a moment in this movie that Charlie Sheen is not coked out of his brain because he's literally either spazzing or his hands are constantly like rubbing together. And there's that scene where after their very first mission where he's in his room and he's just like, I am jacked, man. And it's like, I was like, oh, wow, he's that's not the kind of guy you want on your team. <laughs> no, no, it's funny because um, a completely different film that I will definitely talk about one day has a, an almost very similar character but time had moved on and they very quickly turn him into the bad guy of the film and that's SWAT and he's oh. he's almost exactly the same as Jeremy Renner's Gamble and obviously he causes problems he gets kicked out and then he comes back as the film's antagonist because he just he doesn't want to follow orders he's just looking for a rush and he thinks he's better than everyone and I'm like yeah that's this character except for some reason they don't do that they just go with it <laughs> 
uh, maybe you and I should write Navy Seals 2, where Charlie Sheen comes back as the villain. Because well, after this, he was kicked off. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, uh, would we call it uh, Navy Seals 2 Extreme Action? Or has that already been done? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably already been done. <laughs> <It has. laughs> I know. <laughs> I think, well, there, there is an actual Navy Seals 2 directed by Isaac, uh, Isaac uh, Florentine. Yes, there is. And uh, is if, that the one that's that's called Extreme Action? Is the the yeah? The it's, U, it's U.S. Steals Two Extreme Action. It has a great cast. One day, and, and and maybe by the time this episode goes out, it will be there. But uh, my thoughts on that film will hopefully one day be on the Cinema Junkies podcast. Oh, cool. but um, at the moment, that show seems to be taking a break. And uh, yeah, I I recorded that a while ago so i'm hoping one day it comes out it will but uh but yeah no that is the sequel to this film but i don't know yep. why this one's called navy seals and that one's called u.s seals i guess they didn't want That's what it was, to yeah, be US related seals. right the only the only difference there is that was still isaac's time to put the whooshing sounds in whenever somebody moved yes <laughs> but i love it because it's, oh, it's like I do too. perfectly hammy and i love it and the yeah. fights are just amazing I'll, I'll I'll be honest. They're so different that you can't really compare them. But if you were if you were to ask me which one I would rather put on to like be entertaining, it's the second one because it's oh. just so over the top. <laughs> Hands down, this one is over the top in some irritating ways, like we mentioned yes. with Charlie Sheen's character. And we will we're focusing on him at first because that because we'll get to all the other characters because the other ones I love. They're like they actually feel feel like a cohesive team. Yes, and it's like a, a who's who of eighties. You know, Michael Bain, uh, Rick Rosovich, who uh, Terminator, Top Gun. He's mm. he's always playing a supporting role, but he's always good in those roles. Like that was one thing about the 80s and 90s. Like supporting actors always seemed great. Like they ne their lines were always delivered well. They never seemed like, you know. Nowadays, you get some movies where like some uh, supporting actors don't really hold the candle to the actual main actors. Um no, but I feel like uh, sometimes that's because the main actor is being paid $25 million and the supporting actors are being paid $20. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's it, it's not necessarily I'm saying that you get what you pay for because, you know, sometimes you get really good people that, you you know, that are brand new. But I think back then you could spread the wealth more, which is why, like you said, you've got these good actors, you've got these good yeah. casts. Whereas now I think studios go out of their way to just pay for the for the draw, the marketing person, and then everybody else is just, well, whatever we could afford, it doesn't really matter because people are coming to see Vin Diesel in Bloodshot. No one cares who the other guys are. Right. Even though you need those other guys to make the story work work even better. So nah, you, you, think, don't, you, you don't need story in an action film. You just need a, a load of shaky cam, some quick cut edits. Everybody loves those and you'll have a major hit. <laughs> That's true. You know what? Uh, looking back at this, Lewis, uh, Lewis Teague, who directed this movie, Actually, the action and everything's directed really well. Like, there's not shaky cam. You can see what's happening. Granted, it's mostly gunfights. There's only one cool hand-to-hand -hand fight at the end, really, but that's underwater. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, but no, so the action, I mean, everything's filmable. And there's a ton of it. Literally five minutes go by of story, and then they're on another mission. And then they get back home, and then they're on the golf course. And then they're back on a mission. And then they're at, <laughs> so they don't. They don't make you wait too much for the action, which is one of the reasons I think as a kid, I like this movie so much is yes. there's a lot of gunplay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the opening action sequence where they go in and they rescue those guys, I really liked. 
The only bit I didn't like, which I, I realize people are going to say it's the same thing, reason I don't like Spider-Man's mask being ripped off in every Spider-Man film is at the opening, they're go in, they're all wearing ski masks. And then what do they do? They go clear, and then they all take them off. And you go, why the fuck did you even have them on then? Because <laughs> they never put them on again after that point. And it's like, never again. The, the whole point is so that you can't be identified so that people can't come after you or your family. And they're just like, happily shouting their names and identifying themselves and it just made me laugh that aside though you have that but then you also have god actually shooting people through walls like actually having the correct caliber of weapon do the damage it should and i'm like that's quite surprising for a film that came out in 1990 because even today we still have this stupid idea that a wooden table or a car door is going to protect you from bullets in a small caliber weapon. And the sniper rifle is not small caliber. It just no. goes through those walls like they're made of paper. <laughs> not, not only that, it leaves a 20 foot circular gap in it, yep. which I love. Because <laughs> that did make me chuckle though. Whenever he um, he fired the gun, the noise it made, it's like, right, I got to reposition guys because now everybody in a 20 mile radius knows where I am. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like God tearing a hole in the sky. Yeah. It's so loud. And this is literally, I'm just like, oh, well, good thing you will. And, and he's super far away, which is great. But I love when he goes, he has to switch to to thermal. And I love that they even played that. And I don't know how realistic that is at that time, but I love it because it, as a, a kid, I was just like, oh, this is awesome. He can, he can not only have night vision, but he's got thermal, too. So if they're hiding behind walls, he can shoot them. This is great. I, I distinctly remember, especially in the 90s, like thermal vision was the the, the cool thing, like Every video game had it. A lot of military films had it. A lot of the books I was reading had it. Because I, I grew up reading a lot of the Andrew McNabb books, the Chris Ryan book. I remember a lot of that stuff, especially with uh, Thermal Night. And uh, what was the other one? I think it's Electro. Is it Spectrum? I know there's another one where... Uh, but anyway, I'm getting off topic. But point is, all of that stuff is like, it's great. But then, like you say, it cuts to Charlie Sheen just sort of moonwalking across the battlefield <laughs> shooting people with his eyes shut and you're like i feel like there's a disconnect here <laughs> right which which is sad because while we're giving him a lot of guff this was a time where they were it's almost like they were trying to make charlie sheen into an action hero because he had like in a he had this he had that movie uh rookie with uh clint uh clint, oh i love the rookie. You know, clint eastwood i i love that too and he's got moments like in that movie he's 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 great he's he's a, he was a good actor yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously but, and he, then, he had young guns as well that he was in. Young, yes, yep, yep. So it seemed like this was a time where they were trying to create new action, you know, younger action stars. And it just, you know, unfortunately didn't quite pan out for him, but that's okay. No, and it's it's kind of weird because I don't think this film's script does him any favors, but as we were saying before the film, like we will go back to the other characters, but I just kind of want to address this, is this film seems to be hated by a passion and I don't know why, because as I said to you, I, I saw the Rotten Tomatoes score and I, I think it's 19% Metacritic. Yes, 19% uh, critical score, 42% audience score. But still, 42%, they think there's enough kids of my age who are. <laughs> yeah. Like, I saw this and wanted to be a Navy SEAL. But it, it's it's funny, though, because I don't know why it's so hated. I mean, now that I've uh, I thought it was the audience uh, review that was lower, but the critics oh. one being low, that doesn't surprise me, actually. Not at but, all. Not but, at all. But yeah, I've seen way worse than this get much higher praise. And I can't help but wonder if it is purely because Charlie Sheen's popularity has always been a bit uh, back and forth. 
And, Maybe. <laughs> uh, some of the dialogue has not aged well. And uh, the only member of the team that's not white dies. I don't know yep. if those things have retroactively meant that now when people watch it, that's how they're judging it. But sure. that's that's the only thought I have, because like you said, the action is great. And I, I and, you know, most of the dialogue is great, I think, for the type of characters they were. Um, the only like there are some weird things I think happen, like that we were saying about the soundtrack. I find absolutely hilarious that all of a sudden it just cuts to them messing around on a golf course while the boys are back in town plays, you know, right. Which is actually one of my favorite scenes of the movie because it actually mm. shows the kind of close knit group that these guys have, and I like the movie does show that really well. But even in those scenes, Charlie Sheen, they're all in like, you know, it just it shows that they were definitely trying to separate him out because he's in like dress uh, dress pants and a polo while everybody else is wearing like pink hot shorts <laughs> and like tank tops, and they're just there to have fun. And it's just like, and he's, I don't know, it just to me, it's the epitome of eighty slash nineties mindless action movie. <laughs> yeah i think michael bean and david haysbert were my two favorites david haysbert for me was the best one but he had an unfair advantage i'm guessing you watched it too but i uh loved him in the unit where he's basically yeah. playing the same character only with a lot more tactical training <laughs> and, and i think he's and, and as the leader right because he was the yes. kind of the head of the yeah, yeah yeah well robert patrick's character was the overall leader of the right. unit but yeah, Dave, he was Davis, kind of the, the team lead. Out yeah, he field, was the team right? leader. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, and then I also watched him on uh, 24 when he was. Uh, yes, the president. The president. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I, where I where, as I like was younger, I saw this and like uh, uh, Major League. And I was like, oh, he's the cool baseball player who can, who can hit, you know, home runs. And then as I'm getting real, I'm like, wow, he became president. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just a he, he's a phenomenal actor. He always delivers. He's got that voice that just as soon as you hear it, it's instantly recognizable. And and as you did mention, he's the only, you know, person of color in this movie. And he's he's the best the best teammate. Like he's the one you want to be have on your side. He's always got your back. He's always there. And then Charlie Sheen ruins it. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because probably because I'm so used to seeing him when he's older. But when you see him stood next to Michael Bean and Charlie Sheen, he still seems to be the most mature he seems older when i saw them all at the very beginning of the film and they're in the jeep i thought he was the leader because he just has that mindset mentality image however you want to phrase it he just comes across as the guy that everybody else listens to and even though he's not the team leader in this particular film like you said everybody else listens to him even charlie sheen up until up until a certain scene listens to him because for whatever reason, he's just one of those people that when he talks, other people tend to listen. Right. And just physically wise, he's tall. Like, I never realized how tall he was. Like, cause, you oh, know, yeah. you see him in nowadays and there's, you know, the way things are filmed, but he's standing next to them and he's like a head and a half taller than everybody else. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's <clears throat> six foot four. I want to say, I think, I think. And again, I'm doing this from memory that he was like an NFL player or was going to be oh. an NFL player or something to that effect. Um, I read this uh, like when I was looking at the cast, I was trying to remind myself because I was actually trying to find out whether or not he was former military because the amount okay. of military roles he's played and seems to get a lot of praise for. But as far as I could tell, he is not. He's just real damn good at acting. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. He's he's always great. He's uh, yep. Six foot four. You are you are definitely correct. 
my, so, my, my memory is good for some things. Mm-hmm. So did you watch 24 when he was on there? As the yeah, yeah I've, I've seen all the 24. Um, I, I thought he was brilliant as the president. I've seen him in a lot of other things as well that are all sort of blanking now that, you know, because mm-hmm. it's one of those things where he's done so much. I know that he really wants to play the Green Lantern in something. And I would love oh. that because I think he'd be perfect for it. That but, would be great. Yeah. John Stewart's my personal favorite Green Lantern. And given that he's in some versions also ex-military, I can't think of anybody that would be best suited to play the role. I agree wholeheartedly. And then we've got Michael Bean, who um, I don't think really needs much of an introduction if people have seen, like you said, any film that needed a Navy SEAL at the time or a, 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 a colonial space marine. <laughs> who, who, who travels back in time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so when you were younger, did like Michael Bain stand out when you saw him in certain movies or do, what was the first movie you saw him in? If I, would, do you remember what that would have been? I'm hang on. I'm going to have to look up his filmography. Cause it's not, it's in the back of my brain that it's something stupid. Like <laughs> it's one of those films that when I say it, you're going to be like, really? <laughs> While you're in turn searching for that, I'll share mine. It was uh, Terminator. Um, saw that way too young. Uh, but that was most of the most of the us kids in the eighties and nineties saw things way before we should have. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're like you see Arnold and he's this bigger than life robot who actually looks the part, and then Kyle Reese comes comes back. And my favorite parts of Terminator, we talked about this recently on Discord and some other stuff, was the snippets of the future war. And uh and to see that and like Michael Baines, this uh soldier almost I mean Navy, Navy SEAL-esque soldier in the future, you know, sneaking around and there's laser blasts flying around and there's machines. I was like, how could I not immediately love this guy and follow everything he does after that? <laughs> yes. So um, I will definitely be talking about uh, Terminator 1 and 2 on this show without a shadow of a doubt at some point. Um, sure. But but for everybody listening, I actually watched them out of order as a kid. I wasn't oh. allowed to watch the first Terminator, but Terminator 2 was fine. So I would have seen him in that one scene with the, the you know, where he gets Sarah to get up and go and rescue John, even though he didn't need rescuing. But uh, <laughs> I would have also seen him in The Abyss and I would have also seen him in The Rock. I don't know which one I saw first, but the first time I saw him was not in a film. It was in Command and Conquer Tiberium Sun, where he plays <laughs> a Marine for the GDI, the Global Defense Initiative. <laughs> Wow, you got me on that one. I did not see him. In there. He's the main character, right? I mean, I just didn't play that game. No, no, no. But um, there's there's a lot of famous people in that game because you got James Earl Jones is the is the head of the GDI initiative. So it it was when they were still doing live action cutscenes, you know, and then it, it cuts to very very different looking gameplay. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that was the first time I saw him. I remember it. I remember. I, I could see it in my head, but I couldn't think what it was from. And then I was like, yeah, that's it. And it, that came out in 1999. So then oh, I wow. retro. And so, yeah. So, and then he was also in the Magnificent Seven TV series, which I remember watching as well. Oh, yep. And then uh, uh, Tombstone might be one of my favorite roles of his. Just because he's so, I mean, in a, in a movie that's got so many great performances, he definitely stands out as Johnny Ringo. And the minute you see him, you're just like, Oh wow, Michael Bain's in this? Because <laughs> you know, yeah, when I was yeah, younger, yeah. I didn't. I went to movies. I didn't look at who was in the cast, but you'd see trailers, 
and there was no internet to look up who was in a movie. You'd have no. to look what what you'd have to try to find it in the the poster in the paper and see who was in it. So um, I'm sitting there looking at that, and when I went and saw that with my uh, friends, one of my my friend's parents paid for us and dropped us off, which is phenomenal. Might be one of the first radar movies I saw in a theater without like a parent or somebody with us, but um, yeah. So Michael Bain holds a special place in Andy's heart because he was always there throughout the 80s and 90s growing up. I was like, yep. The Abyss, Terminator, The Rock. It seems like each each time I progressed to a different age range, he was there. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he is one of those actors that I think people now are like, oh, yeah, he's in a couple of films. It's like, no, 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 he, he was in a lot of big stuff. It's just that, unfortunately, the 80s and 90s are a lot further away than our consciousness likes to believe it was. And people growing up, you know, post then, they didn't have Michael Bean in every other film because he was getting older, you know? <laughs> yep. And he was, he was always starring. I mean, he was starring opposite of Arnold. Hate to say it. When you think of Terminator, you don't think of Kyle Reese. You think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. You don't tombstone. Unfortunately, while I think that, you know, you immediately Most think of like, Val Kilmer. Kurt, you know, Kurt, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. And then he's there. But um, so yeah, you're right. It's one of those things where he, he worked and now, mandalorian he's 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 yeah. in star wars he's in my favorite franchise so i i literally did a backflip when that was announced <laughs> see i didn't know he so. was going to be in it so when he when he showed up oh. i was just like oh my god that's michael bean he looks like he's being held up by you know like strings and wires but he's he's there <laughs> yep yeah man you know what i need to stop looking up so many things i'd love to go in and be surprised at my casting announcements so maybe that's something i need to do in 2022 moving forward is just not look at so much and then just be more surprised when things happen. The, but it's almost impossible. I was just going to say, the problem is, is that you just don't get that anymore. Um, because even if like, I've, I've had this rant, I think before where um, you've seen Deadpool two. Yeah, of course. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, I'm about to say a spoiler just as a warning, but before the film came out, I didn't look anything up about it. I watched the trailer, which turned out to be a massive, red herring anyway because the trailer had stuff filmed to make you think that the entire x-force was going to be in it and then they weren't right. which was hilarious but also disappointing um sure. but i'm trying to think when it was when the film came out in america i then went on youtube oh no and in the recommended was juggernaut versus colossus and someone had filmed it on their phone but youtube recommended it to me so, oh, Juggernaut's in the film then. Right. Thanks for that. And that <laughs> happens all the goddamn time. Uh, it happened recently. So recently, I'm not going to say what it is. But when oh. I, I went to say went to see Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I already knew what was going to happen at the end because somebody had done the same thing. And YouTube was like, oh, this video is popular. Let me recommend it to everyone. <laughs> oh, YouTube. And it's like, I can't avoid that. Like, I'm pretty good at avoiding spoilers on social media, but I if if the algorithm literally is like, here, take the spoiler, you will have it. It's like, you can't avoid it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and sometimes Twitter, I'll be scrolling through and then I'll see something and I'll be like, oh no, and I'll like quickly scroll flat or just close the app in general. I'm like, I don't want... Look, spoilers, everybody knows it now. We knew that Toby and Andrew, uh, Toby McGuire and Andrew Garfield are in Spider-Man, but I didn't want to know it for sure. So every time I saw something, I was like, nope, if I don't read it, it might happen and I might still be surprised by it. 
to be honest, I was pretty sure they were going to show up, but I was I I was literally sat there in the cinema determined not to hype myself up for it because if it didn't happen, then no matter how good the film was, I'd be annoyed at it. So right. I, until it actually happens, I was not going to go with it. But when it did happen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might be the best uh, use of that in the last few years for me because it was like the way they were introduced at the right times in the movie that it, it, it wasn't overdone it was done perfectly so yeah so we're going down yet another rabbit trail I, about, I, I know i know about, i'm gonna i'm gonna spoilers and internet stuff. i'm gonna say this and then and then we'll go back to navy seals because this has got nothing to do with navy seals but like um as you know because it's literally in the background i like power rangers um yeah. when i was a kid the best episodes eventually because uh this is when they started changing the cast would always be Eventually, you realize they did this every year, but when you're a kid, you don't think about it. But they would always have these episodes where the previous season's cast would come back and they'd do a team up. And uh, A, those were normally, not always, but they were normally some of the better written, best action, because, you know, they were all normally always American shot. But there's one particular episode, and it, oh God, it feels so bad to say this, that happened in 2002, which is so long ago now. And, oh man, uh, that's a long time ago. <laughs> I know. But uh, they didn't just bring back the previous cast. They brought back the 10 Red Rangers that had come before them, all the way back to the original. And no one knew that was going to happen. I just turned it on one morning, and there was the person that I watched when I was a kid coming back next to the other person that I watched when I was a kid. And then it was like, and it's every single person since? What the hell? And it's like, <laughs> but if that had been today, oh, that would have been spoiled everyone would have known about it and then when people watched it, it would have been like oh okay yeah they just have a couple fight scenes and but but it loses the whole what the fuck factor you know <laughs> right that was in that was in 2002 yeah wow i was getting married that year oh man <laughs> <laughs> there's certain date stamps that when you think back you're like damn i'm old now I'm and pretty, it happens a lot on twitter but i'm just like i'm pretty crap. sure it's it's 2002 it's it's it Two or three around there. Yeah, okay. I actually remember hearing about because I, you know, I had fallen off of watching Power Rangers at that time, but then I remember hearing like all of the red Red Rangers came back, including Austin St. John of all people, because he would yes, that was he, like that left, was, didn't he? Wasn't mm -hmm. he some sort of like firefighter or like a yeah yeah yeah? Like that? No. So when when oh my god, we're going real off topic now. When That's he okay. when he came back, he literally was on break from paramedic school and being a firefighter. So wow. it was literally a case of he was like, can I go back and film this kid's show I used to do? And all of his <laughs> friends were like, what kid's show? Oh, shit. <laughs> Power Rangers, I was the very... <laughs> yep, that's literally what happened. And then he just went straight back to it. Like, you know? And because uh, um, that's one of the things that... Because uh, he, he went from that, did other stuff. Then he went overseas and he did stuff in the Middle East. He was a private uh, contractor and oh, wow. so many people like in in that fandom are always like oh why doesn't he ever come back and it's like now that he is back he's like because i was in the middle east <laughs> you can't just take two days off and be like right i'll, I'll be back guys keep keep everything going without me <laughs> <laughs> wow so he's a he's a legitimate badass who what like <laughs> It, it's it's one of the reasons why it's so frustrating that he doesn't do more stuff in Hollywood because unfortunately he's one of those people that's very anti Hollywood. So I highly doubt he'll ever do anything outside of really small budget independent films, which is 
frustrating because the handful of times I've seen him do stuff on video and at conventions, he can still pull off really impressive martial arts. And obviously he's much more into realistic close quarters combat because of his training. And uh, that's why he came back recently. (sighs) I want to say two years ago now, because time is just, you know, the with the virus of unspecified and unknown origin, it's really difficult to keep track of time moving. <laughs> Very much but, so. But um, yeah, he didn't get any fight scenes in that, and everybody was like, "Ah, oh, he, uh, you know, he he's overweight." And it's like, yeah, but a he's like nearly fifty. B they gave him no notice, and C he literally just showed up, had some dialogue, morphed, and then the stunt double took over. Why would he like kill himself to look back in shape for all of right. like five minutes? You know. Exactly. At least he at least he came back and did that. He could have just said, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that's a that's a symptom of fandom in general. You get they you just always want more. Always. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, that weird ass rant aside. From Power Rangers back to Navy Seals. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We can we can take the Austin. Austin St. John uh, tactical stuff and put it, it is. So that's why we're coming back to the non-tactical Navy SEALs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, this was, this was great. Cause it's, like I said, it's one of those rare movies where Michael Bain, even though the movie says Charlie Sheen is the star, Michael Bain's kind of the main character that you follow. Cause you know, he, you know, his character meets uh, uh, Joanne Wally. And then he, you, you know, you know, develops a relationship with her which helps them find where the stingers are being hidden we didn't even really discuss the plot of the movie on that first mission where they're out uh they find stingers that were stolen from the u.s i think right or sold yeah, yeah, or yeah. stolen and they didn't blow them up because they were trying to get the wounded um helicopter pilots out that they were sent in to rescue in the first place which then in a scene that really pisses me off where that dude in the suit is coming down mm-hmm, on mm-hmm, Michael mm-hmm, Bain mm-hmm. for not blowing them up. And he's like, I had to get my men and the injured people out of there first and foremost. For, for so, the record, his name was Warren. And I, I literally Warren. wrote a paragraph about that scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, please, we're talking about now. Go ahead. What is your paragraph on that? No, scene? no, I, I want to hear. I, I literally just put what you you put, oh. but I, I can I can read my own sarcasm. And it was like, uh, I got to love Warren blaming the SEAL team for not deviating from the original mission that had bad intel, and they should have known, air quotes, to go after a guy that they found by accident and didn't know the identity of, risking the hostages that they were sent to rescue and <laughs> blow up the missiles that they didn't even know that they were there. And typical politician, who cares if the SEALs die, right? That's what they paid for. Right. Oh, man, that scene cut. Oh, I wanted him to reach across the table and do the whole 80s thing where they grab him by the throat and yeah. like, yell at him. <laughs> But no, Michael Bean just sat there and took it like, a you know, and then uh, after that, they get to go play golf. But uh, well, that, that's what I mean. Like you have that really serious, almost too close to home sequence. And then the boys are back in town. Back in town. <laughs> it's like, hang on, what? <laughs> They're literally charging each other with golf carts. Like <laughs> I was yeah. like, OK, I mean, but it also was that time where we had to have our action heroes to blow off steam. It couldn't just be normal golf they had no. to be like <laughs> they had to be destroying a golf course which which you know st- which costs a lot of money by the way to keep mm-hmm. a golf course up and running um so i'm just like oh man but uh so yeah so they have and, to go uh, back and get these stingers and everything else like that so you you also missed the part where charlie sheen got his car uh towed because he you know he didn't 
he parks it like on the green or something ridiculous. And then rode a bicycle fast enough to catch up to a moving vehicle that was on a road going like 50 miles an hour. <laughs> and, and then did his best Jackie Chan impression as he climbed onto the moving vehicle, got in his car, somehow managed to get the uh, ramp to lift and then drove off of it, reversed backwards, and then his stunt double did a 180 spin. That was, that was actually a really well done spin. <laughs> it was, but the double did not look that much like Charlie Sheen. <laughs> There's a couple different times where the doubles are clearly noticeable. Cause yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so... Yeah, we're, we're, uh, so we're talking about getting back to the scene. So, yeah, so Michael Bean, the, the movie follows him way more than Charlie Sheen, really, because he's the kind of driving force of everything to keep things moving. It's weird because it definitely does. But then there are points like with that car where the film just goes, we're going to go with Charlie Sheen now. And, yeah. it, and it does it later on. Like you said, um, Michael Bean gets with the female reporter. But then there's a point where Charlie Sheen decides that he wants to have a go. And so it's almost like they just passed the baton of who's going to have the camera. They literally walk past each other and now we're with Charlie Sheen, you know? Which again shows why the character is so un- unlikable. This is your your best friend, your, you know, a CO, and he's on a date. And you come in and then like phone him for an emergency. So he has to literally get beat, get up and leave thinking something bad's happening. And then you sit down and try to take over. And then literally tell the woman in the car, like, we're both attractive we should just have sex <laughs> and i'm glad she put she shuts him down immediately <laughs> yeah 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 and um it's funny too because it's like it's not even we're both attractive it's we're both attractive to each other and she's right. like well one of us definitely is <laughs> to which i think he goes well one's better than none and i'm just like wait yeah, what <laughs> one, one out of two ain't bad and i'm like That's it's, it's right. not a meatloaf song <laughs> r.i.p yes oh duh now I'm sad. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it down, but I think I'm going to listen to some meatloaf after this. Just to... <laughs> yes, sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Actually, one of his songs could have fit throughout any part of this movie. One of his like rock anthem songs, because towards the end, it gets the the soundtrack gets really like rock patriotic. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you know what the worst the worst scene in the entire film for me for that is the earlier from what we were just talking about michael bean is trying to impress is the wrong word but um they're both playing a game of who can get information out of each other at first Mm -hmm. and he's like well you can come to the seal training place if you want (laughs) and uh that whole sequence i was like i was waiting for the starship troopers would you like to know more More. enlist now because it's so (laughs) like patriotic and you should serve the american military system and here look at all this amazing stuff and we don't do it for the pay and the music (laughs) is just like oh my god and you guys say wolf warrior 2 is too bad (laughs) yeah come on people (laughs) literally the only thing missing at the end of that scene when the guys get taken out of the water the two men and they're like their arms are uh splayed out by a chopper Oh, yeah. The only thing missing at the very end of that, because that's when the music crescendos, is contact your local like military office, office for the recruitment yeah. office. That's the only thing missing. And I was just like, those are the videos I used to see as a kid, like people climbing <laughs> through mud, <laughs> carrying soldiers. And it's like, this is I'm like, this is literally a ad for the Navy SEALs. <laughs> in, in Not my, a very good one. But a good, it, it, <laughs> but in my head, when that when they were doing that thing, A, I almost feel like there should have been an American flag 
between the two of them because it really did look like it but also i couldn't help that even though the music that was playing was hilarious but in my brain all i could hear was team america <laughs> fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now i'm never gonna watch this movie again without hearing that throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing so yeah so michael bean great Haysbert, great the rest of the team not as not as well known, but they all play their their, well, the, their roles well. Well, Paxton, we gotta talk about Bill Paxton first. We did a little bit before, but yeah, well, yeah, but I uh, I think my problem is all of the other characters. I don't remember their names, and I don't really remember their contributions other than they shoot guns every now and then. Because there's like what seven people on this team in the beginning before yeah. people start dropping, and. It really feels like all of the development went to Sheen, Bean, and Haysbert, with a little tiny bit going to Bill Paxton, but everybody else is just like, we say exposition and help move the plot, otherwise we could just not be here, you know? Yep, the only one that stands out is the dude from uh, Top Gun and Terminator, because he's the medic. Yes. So he, he, so he, he always has to do that, but he's equally proficient at shooting as he is a medic and he never really says anything medically or they show him he literally just takes somebody and puts like a, a, some gauze on him and like shoves it on there because oh, that's they, all we really have time for he um at the end he yeah. does uh, administer morphine oh you're right to uh michael bean yes and it's the most instantaneous morphine hit yes. anybody's ever received in their life because the needle is not even in it he's like oh man that's great it it, <laughs> it leads to one of my funniest scenes in the whole film which is when they're trying to get Bean down the stairs and into the car i don't know if it was deliberate or not but everybody else looks really tense and worried and Bean just is smiling his ass off just like yay <laughs> <laughs> he's acting his ass off in that scene so hilarious yes but yeah, you're right. The rest of the crew is pretty forgettable. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you their their names either. I'd have to look them up right now. Yeah, I mean, I knew that it was a problem when um, at in the end fight, one of them has a really big machine gun. And I spent the entire time going, has he been here before? Like, was he, yeah. with, the, was he with the team the entire time? And then it's like, oh, yeah, he was. But I don't remember a single thing he did. <laughs> and then one of the uh, one of the teammates who's driving the getaway car that they commandeer, I think oh, he yeah. passes away, and you're just like, I was, you know, didn't have that 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 connection to the character, and I know it's bad to say that, but I was just like, all right, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 to be honest, that was kind of like a moment I didn't see coming because, oh yeah, we just lost somebody else. We'd already lost David Haysbert, and then I was like, okay, so we're getting out of here with this group. We're in the car. You know, we've had a really cool chase sequence, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you literally see his head just explode and the car fly over, and you're like, "Where did that come from?" (laughs) (laughs) That just that just felt so out of place because, like you say, this film couldn't make up its mind if it wanted to be a 1980s action film or a war film, and it's Mm -hmm. like it feels like an 80s action film trying to do war realism but not really knowing how to do that right yeah with some really good quips mixed in <laughs> yeah you don't talk about mom don't talk about mom but i will say though that that um that final sequence where they're supposed to be in beirut i think i thought the set design for that was uh, incredible um yeah. you would I, I don't think you'd I don't think you'd get a set like that these days. I mean, it genuinely looks like they went to 
well, insert war-torn country here, because unfortunately you've got even more to pick from now, but it, it genuinely looked real. Whereas I think some of the stuff that got done later on, the CGI backgrounds, the over-the-topness of it, kind of, they go out of their way to make it not look like what a urban city that's been bombed and shelled actually looks like. Right. And again, the, the whole jarring realism with the 1980s aesthetic is when they successfully blow up these missiles, which the whole film has been about, they actually do something which I would never have expected, which is the place they just blew up is a place that regular people live. And they actually show you the families coming out that have just been injured in the explosion, the regular people that the SEALs have just damaged. And I was like, I was not expecting that from a film that was made in the 80s, let's put it that way. And no, yeah. especially what will happen in the future, because obviously this film it was made a long time ago, it feels like some of it just came from the future because, again, you weren't really shown that collateral damage like you are now in a lot of those types of films. Right. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's a lot more cognizant now that there, that war and these type of acts have other ramifications. And back then it was just like, blow up, blow up this building and you got the bad guy. Good job. <laughs> you just displaced hundreds of people. But, there, you know, on an action side, there were some really good practical explosions and piece you had mentioned where, I mean, they level an entire, an entire like broken down building. And it looks at like one point I was like, was that a model? Like, was that a miniature or is that really, did they really find an area and blow that up? Cause it's tough to, tough to tell. Mm. Yeah. So. I, I, I don't know. Is the simple answer. I think they did yep. blow it up because again, it's, it, it was of that era where they did just blow everything up. Cause why not? <laughs> right but it's it's funny too because um i remember watching it and like you say the action scenes are really good like there's a lot of good shootouts and the one thing that annoyed me to it though is god dies in this sequence uh because he doesn't even get set up before somebody sneaks in behind him and yeah. he does kill the guy but he gets shot in the process which is really annoying he does also save michael bean before he passes away, which was the kind of like his final hurrah moment. But then you have two seals, Sheen and Bean, standing in a room, neither one of whom is covering the same goddamn door that God just got killed through. And then another guy comes in and almost kills them in the exact same way. And they do it again and again. Every time they go inside a building, they're all focused on like what the story wants you to focus on. And you just think, you just need someone to walk up behind you and just shoot you it's yep. like there's like five of you please cover the exit one of you cover the door the, the damn door <laughs> but speaking of uh paxton again like you said earlier it's amazing that they were able to make him so non-charismatic because in every other role even in like a small role he steals the scene like true lies he's in it for 10 minutes yes and he's one of the characters that you remember most mm. with that same schmarmy smarmy um uh mustache too <laughs> Yeah, I always forget he's in commando as well. Like he's like the the guy on the uh, the military boat or plane, whatever it is. It's like yeah, I totally forget that too. And every time I rewatch that film, I'm like, "That's Bill Paxton." Oh, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> he's like two lines and he's out. <laughs> we didn't. I didn't even make this connection until right now. Michael Bean, Bill Paxton in one of my favorite movies, Aliens. They they've acted together before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
they played well off each other. So yeah. Which is again one of the reasons why I couldn't understand why he doesn't have much to do because right. it feels like, like you said, this is after Aliens, this is a, uh, after a few things that Bill had done. He should have been bigger, but which is why I wonder, was he and his stuff for whatever reason got cut? Right. Or maybe he was doing something else and could only show up for a certain number of scenes. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the possible. thing. Try, trying to piece all this together uh, like 30 years later is uh, harder than it sounds. That's true. Yeah. For... <laughs> They tried to make Charlie Sheen the comic relief at times because he was, you know, when Bill Paxton could have pulled it off much better. And it would have been better having a secondary character be the one who might, after he shot him, come over the your ear pieces and just go, nobody, nobody talks about mom, you know, or something like that. Like Bill Paxton could have pulled that off a little better, I think, in my humble opinion. I might be more of a Paxton fan than Sheen fan, but that's just I, me. I- I think the problem is, though, is like the, what you said earlier about Charlie Sheen being off his head on coke. If that's true, that would probably explain some of his weird delivery, because obviously he made the Hot Shots films and he's yeah. hilarious. Knows like he can really do funny, comedy. Yeah. So yes. I, I don't know why it doesn't quite work here. I don't know whether, like you say, he feels so out of step with everyone, like he's making a different film to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's him. I think that was what the film wanted. But I don't know why the film wanted that. <laughs> I'm not sure either. But um, so yeah, so Paxton plays a great little part, mainly because he's great because we know everything Paxton does and what he's capable of. So while, while this movie doesn't utilize him to its fullest, still, when you see him on screen, you're like, there's my, you know, when, when you see your friend doing something. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, you see that you're just like, not that he's a friend, but you see somebody that, you know, and you're like, Hey, good for them. They're in, you know, it always warms your heart to see him in something. I just wish, like you said, he had more to do. And it's, you're right. It seems like as soon as he was going to do something, they were like, well, we got to get back to Bean and Sheen. <laughs> but it's, it's funny too, because he was like playing the ultra serious one. Cause when they, after the first uh, operation, they all show you their debriefing, most of whom <laughs> don't take it particularly seriously. But Bill Paxton's character is like all the military jargon no back talk he's just this is what happened i killed them and end of line you know he's so ultra serious i think he was playing it dead straight and i I wonder if he was supposed to be the straight man to some of the stuff that like the others were saying and then it just i don't know it just didn't work or they didn't want it or whatever you know although he, he he does have my favorite line of the whole movie when they asked if he encountered hostiles and he says (laughs) <laughs> I vaporized hostiles. That was the only Bill Paxton-esque line in the whole thing. Yes. And, and like, charismatic delivery. Because he the way he looks down, he's got his arms crossed. I vaporized hostiles. <laughs> yes. And, and the thing was, as well, is it, it sounds arrogant. But, like, if you've seen the, the, the sequence, no, that's exactly what he did. Like, it's, it's so there's nothing. No, there's nothing left of those hostiles <laughs> or the walls they were hiding behind. <laughs> exactly. It's it, it it's ammunition that negates cover, I believe, is the technical term. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and for a movie about Navy SEALs, surprisingly, not a lot of it takes place in the water. You know what I mean? But they do have some cool scenes. Like I like the scenes of them deploying and all that. How they have their you know rafts under the water and they bring. Yes. Those, for some reason, when I was a kid, I wanted this just experience that so bad. And I think as an adult now, if I could pick my own vacation, it would be reenacting all these cool things from the 80s and 90s action movies without the fear of getting hurt or anything like that so i could be underwater scuba diving and then 
hit this button and all of a sudden this raft floats up and I can climb in it and we can drive up to the uh, coastline and I can jump jump out of it and then pull the raft onto the shore so it doesn't float off. There's just stuff like that that I would love to do. Yeah, it's funny too because um, the scene before that, where which I feel goes on for way too long, which is when they're in the plane getting ready to jump. Um, oh, man. Bill Paxton actually does have, you know, because he doesn't well, he doesn't want to jump out the plane because he's like, I don't like it. It's like, you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. But yeah, I feel like it goes on for way too long. Like you were saying, like there's so much action. There's like dialogue, action, dialogue, action. And then there's just this bit where they sit in the plane and it's like, okay, I get it. You're going to jump. I, I, I don't know if this was revolutionary in the 80s, but I've seen this scene in other films, guys. I know how this Many works. Many times. <laughs> But then, but then we we miss the ultimate payoff of when he goes, "Hey, your uh, your uh, shoot doesn't look packed right." And he's just like, <laughs> "Oh yeah." And, I'm like, and then I'm like, "Guess what? You didn't need the ten minutes of dialogue before that." <laughs> well, yeah, but it. on top of that, then his shoot doesn't actually work properly. <laughs> yeah, not a good joke. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a shame because it's like you know, there's other good stuff as well where like. Uh, Michael Bean's character takes it upon himself to basically be his own intelligence because he's sick and tired of the intelligence people always yeah. being wrong. And he tries to, you know, work all this stuff out. And I had a I, I had a moment where my brain was going, um, at this point, they're no longer acting like SEALs. He's, he's more acting like Delta Force. And I did wonder if that's where this was going, that this is like, you know, that's how it was going to end. Like, you're you're too independent and reckless to be SEALs, but hey, this organization's for you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought of that, so thank you for putting that thought in my head, because that's excellent. Well, it, it's it's because sometimes, you know, um, you watch some films and it's leading you to, like, something else, and, I, and I'm always, I, I can't help it, my brain's always looking for the twist, so if, mm. and I thought for sure, like, you could easily re retool this to be this is it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work because it's the wrong era but it's like this is how we ended up going on these weird tactics it started off as just some people doing it because they were sick and tired of it and then oh it this works maybe we should you know make this a thing <laughs> right yeah it's like oh when we actually let people who know what they're doing do what they do we get results <laughs> Yes, it's so, like when they're complaining that the CIA has never given anything of any value to them, like ever. <laughs> right, which happens multiple times in this movie. Every single mission they're on, they have no intel whatsoever. Like they show up and they and I like that one point Michael Michael Bean gives it back to him. He goes, By the way, thanks for your uh your hot hot take on the uh the uh light LZ and then they encountered like hundred and fifty yep. armed <laughs> soldiers. Exactly. So, I'm like, I don't think our military would function very well if that was the level of, uh, you know, information they were given. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's it's a it's a running stereotype that intelligence is often always bad. And I remember reading in uh, some of the Andy McNabb books, uh, obviously, they're mostly fictional, but obviously him and Chris Ryan both were XSAS mm -hmm. or are XSAS, should I say. And uh, yet yeah, both of them, even though they're, they, they're very different, uh, both seem to agree that the reason why their most famous thing happened is because the intel was wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not without precedent, unfortunately. That's true. That does get brought up a lot. What was the movie where they said, boy, they call that military intelligence? Was that this one? Was, there, was that a line in there? Or there's a, a no, line the movie? No, but yeah, I know the line. I can't think of the film. But yeah, I know what you mean. I can hear the line in my head. I yeah, can't think what the they, film okay. is. Yep. 
But yeah, so that is definitely a running theme with these movies. Because you know what? I guess if the Intel was great, there wouldn't be a movie because we wouldn't have to worry about all of these following things. So exactly. They'd have just uh, walked in, blown up the missiles, kidnapped the guy, rescued the hostages, and uh, we'd be back home in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. This movie has another really weird thing where the villain doesn't really have whatsoever. Like he shows up in just random scenes. You don't, you never follow up with them. I, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, they really, they, they call it Navy SEALs and that's who we're focusing on. We have no time for anybody else. No, the only character that we really focus on is um, the reporter. Otherwise, it is literally just the three main seals, and that's it. Yep. Yeah, and the bad guy's only bad because we're told he is. We don't get to see him do anything terrible. I mean, we know he is because he's, you know, there when it happens. But um, most movies now, you know, they have to establish how bad the bad guy is or you get some background on the bad guy just so you have that when he gets his... Uh, his comeuppance, you're like, yes, it feels earned because we knew how bad he was. This guy, we just know he's bad because we're told he is. <laughs> yeah. But he does get a pretty righteous death <laughs> in terms yeah, of yeah, yeah. bad guy deaths. No, it's funny because um, when we were talking about the training sequence, there was one part we didn't mention, which is that, you know, you were saying about Sheen making that impossible shot when the hostage's head is right next to the terrorist's head. Um, but there's also the moment where Michael Bean decides to go uh, take one out of Sheen's book and take her into a live fire training exercise. And uh, everybody shoots targets that are like a centimeter away from her and him. And it's like, right. I don't think that would fly. In reality. I, think it would fly. <laughs> I get what you were doing, because afterwards he, they, he tries to rectify it by saying, I wanted you to see what it's like to be in the middle of something with no power to do anything about it and that's how i feel right now and if you helped me i could do something about it but when yeah. those gunshots are going off he's got the biggest shit-eating grin on his face like Haha, i got you <laughs> yeah exactly he he kind of it's kind of difficult to stay with the characters because they do stuff like that and it's like i get it he's angry and it's the same you know it's like saying you know this is my life i get shot at every day and you're trying to preach to me about what's right and wrong and how hard it is and it's like all you do is write about stuff um, you know, I actually might die the next time I go on a mission, you know, and right. I get that. But at the same time, it doesn't make what he did right. <laughs> right. But that also that uh, training sequence does pay off because we get to see the pool where they're in turn swimming and Charlie Sheen swims up and kisses the uh, glass. And he says, oh, that's Hawkins. He's part part fish. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all we ever get of it. But it pays off at the end when he's able to hold his breath for 18 minutes <laughs> while he's taking out the bad guy. So. Yeah, it, that, I loved that scene to, to, to fast forward to, to that fight underwater purely because um, I don't know if you watched it. I'm imagining you did. Did you ever watch Burn Notice? Oh, yes, of course. It, it really reminded me of the scene in one of the later seasons where Mike and Sam are, are currently not agreeing with each other and they end up having a fight and uh, Mike very stupidly takes it into the water and then the voiceover <laughs> is like, yeah, if there's one place you don't want to fight a seal, even an ex-seal, it's in the water. In the water. <laughs> they can and will hold their breath longer for you, and it doesn't matter how well you can fight. And I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly how this scene is playing out. Exactly how the scene's <laughs> playing out. A, a little different than the underwater scene in Wolf uh, Wolf Warrior 2, which <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is still one of my favorite scenes of that movie, honestly. The way that they filmed that, I was like, hats off to you, Sam, uh, Sam Argrave, because <laughs> that is one of the 
best underwater shot things. But this still looks like, I mean, whenever I watch a movie where there's a underwater thing, I always in, instinct, uh, instinctively hold my breath to see if I could hold my breath as long as they can. And I always die. Like, there's never a scene where I'm like, yep, made it, made it, made it through. Nope. I'm always like 20 seconds in. I'm like, oh, God, I'd be dead right now. <laughs> and this I, is definitely I, one of those. I think the problem is with stuff like that, though, it's the same as like jumping out of a plane and, you know, 10 minutes pass and somehow they're still in the air. Um, yeah. And it's like, no, in reality, 30 seconds done. And it's like, that's yeah, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That guy would not have been able to, especially when you're, it's it's one thing to sit sit still holding your breath, but when you're exerting and moving, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you you can never trust the passage of time in a film. You know, it's like oh, it it, it might have been five minutes for us watching it, but then they're like oh, you know, oh, you were only under for like a minute eighty or something. You know, yeah. The only time it's real is when Tom Tom Cruise almost dies holding his his breath for our entertainment. That's the only time that the minutes match up. Or if uh, if if you're watching The Abyss and you know all of oh, the yeah. ho- horrific problems they had trying to film oh, all of that underwater, I have held my breath so many times during that movie. <laughs> I was like, nope, I would not be able to make it. I would be like a tank and have to swim, <laughs> swim up and stay there. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, so that uh, a, a really nice playoff. That just a, a quick throwaway line of him being part fish that later comes into play when he's able to stay underwater and take the guy down. And it's actually a pretty cool looking shot when he cuts his neck, even though there's no blood, but he cuts his neck and then just shoves him down and you see the body just slowly dissolving. And then they pop up and all laugh because <laughs> that's what our seals do. <laughs> it, I also like, cause I'm just uh, scrolling through and I'd forgotten about it until I just saw it in my notes. But um, in that big final fight, just before, because uh, obviously Bean gets shot in the final fight, as we said mm-hmm. earlier, he gets injured. Um, and Sheen decides that that's when he's going to be a good guy and go rescue him. By defying orders, I will add, he's still not doing what he was told to do. But somewhere around there, I don't, can't remember exactly where it is, but he's talking to someone sees him and they, they say something to him and he shoots him and he follows that up with, well, it was a boring conversation anyway. And then he yells, we're going to have company soon. And I went, ah, Star Wars reference. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was shocked when I heard that. He was like, Poor I was like, oh, no. I was, like, I was like, first off, nobody can deliver that line quite like Harrison Ford. Number two, this is like, well, at least we got a Star Wars reference in a 1990s Navy SEAL movie. But it's like, <laughs> it's not like just the boring conversation anyway. It's like the, the entire sentence of that whole thing is uh, beat for beat the same. And you just think... How much of that was in the script and how much of that was Charlie Sheen? <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's a, yeah, maybe he loves Star Wars. Who knows? And then it ends, of course, with the uh, them in the the, the water kind of after Charlie Sheen kills the guy. Thankfully, Bean's been saved, so he does not die. Well, and then. Sorry, just to interrupt oh, you, but, but before we're in the water, they actually have that car chase with the big oh, yeah, no. APC thing and the machine guns, which uh, aside from being surprisingly good, um it's really tense i actually really liked it because they when i first saw it when i first saw it i thought uh this isn't going to work for me because that gun it could shred the car that they're in and i thought if 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 it bounces off and sparks which is what i was expecting that's going to be stupid but instead they actually sat right in front of the apc and stayed inside of its minimum weapons range but they actually said that and i was like 
how is this film so smart, but at the same time so dumb? <laughs> I don't understand. Because <laughs> I was not expecting them to actually do that. And the guy's like, yeah, I can't shoot him. And it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty much the only chance they had to survive that, you know? Right. And a lot of really great practical car stunts. Mm. Yeah, they, they were. go through there. And there was a one scene where they go down when they first take the wrong turn and they go down those steps. That that uh that stunt double barely makes it out of the way of that car. Like mm. it's very quick. <laughs> yeah, and then they have the the APC thing come through the wall. Like they just completely just demolishes the wall and it looks great. And it just like you say, considering that this is just I say just, this is a film that was probably made in 89, came out in 90. How does this look better than stuff that comes out today? You know, it's really irritating. It's like practical. It still looks good after all these years. It doesn't age the same way CGI does. That's very true. What do you think the budget of this movie was? Because I just looked it up. Uh, unfortunately, I looked it up before we started. Oh, okay. So all right. I, I'm going to guess it's $20 million. I was shocked because usually you hear movies like with a $20 million budget, like one shot was made for five. you're like are you kidding me think if they had that kind of budget or even half of it well that's the problem isn't it they they don't have that sort of budget anymore like that's that's the point and right and that's what we want to get back to i would love that to happen oh yeah that would be amazing but for me because i uh, i think me and mike said this when we were talking about hydra Mm -hmm. people look at something like one shot and i see the negative comments obviously because i want to see what idiots are saying um yeah me too but one of the ones that I find really difficult to reconcile with are the ones that complain about how it looks, some of the inconsistencies. And you're like, it was made for $5 million. And a lot of people's problems, nine times out of 10, always come down to, and they don't, I don't think they even realize this, is you're watching a small budget film. A lot of your complaints, they can't help. It's completely outside of their control, but they've still made a film that looks amazing. It's like most people can't do that you know it's oh. it's a skill to be able to take five million in that film's case and turn it into something that can rival stuff 10 times its budget right not only that the fact that they the way that they filmed it like if you had twice the amount of budget you have the time and prep to do these long takes and then edit them together they did not have the time to do that when other movies have budgets three times that size and like you said look shoddily put together yeah, or or marginally better at best. That's the bit at that best. Uh, that's the bit that I struggle with. It's you know, unless it's a special effects heavy film, a lot of the time the budget isn't going. The bigger budget isn't going into the film. The bigger budget's going into getting a list actors, uh, having like you said the prep time, or it's going into producers' pockets. It's going into the yep. things that you don't see the marketing and you just think but all of that stuff is unnecessary you know it's it's not but reality it is it's the way it is because that's the way it is and no one's challenging it but right. you can make films without all of that crap that's very true it makes but, me wish i i'm oh, sorry I, no. oh no no i'm sorry to cut you off but it makes me wish i sometimes knew less about that stuff and was more ob- oblivious because then you're just like wow this this looks awesome and it looks better than some of the things i saw in an actual theater yeah yeah i don't know i mean it's it's funny 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think you'll ever get the truth in inverted commas. I mean, you know, that interview that Wendy and I talked about when we did Cop Shop that Frank Grillo did, where he was kind of honest about filming and why certain people do certain projects. And, you know, yeah. it, we do it because that's what pays the bills. Um, there's a, a hilarious interview going around at the moment with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's something I knew anyway, but so many people are, at, yeah, well, the, because they don't know, obviously, um, <laughs> you know, he was a millionaire before he ever walked onto a film set before he was 28. He was already million, you know, had over a million dollars because of his investments in a point in time when investing money was kind of impossible to not make money. And he's yeah. quite upfront about the fact that it wasn't necessarily that he was this great business acumen it was if you invested your money within a couple of years it had doubled so if you put two hundred thousand down i had six hundred thousand within a couple of years so how could i not you know and right. but the advantage of that meant i only said yes to films i actually wanted to do so i didn't have to fill my resume with all these little films all these big budget films that i don't really want to do and actors don't have that luxury normally they have no, to right. do stuff to pay the bills and it's the same with directors. It's the same with producers. It's the same with everybody that works in the film industry. Most people aren't the 1%, unfortunately. Nope. Nope. Makes me wish more one percenters were just giving money to creatives to let them make movies so we could enjoy them. Oh, no, um, I've, I've said this. Uh, sorry, I haven't said this before, but I, was, uh, I saw a thing. Uh, I think it was on Twitter where they were like, if you were suddenly uh, a billionaire, yeah. What film would you just finance off the top of your own back? And um, for me, it wouldn't even be a big film that anybody knows about because uh, to go back to our off topic, to, to tie this together, I'd go and grab some of the ex-Power Rangers like Austin St. John and the ones that actually know martial arts and the ones that can actually act and say, here's the big budget. Give me a good action film because mm -hmm. people like Daniel Southworth and Johnny Young Bosch They've proven that they can do it and they've done it for like 30,000, not even a million. They've right. done it for so little money. And it's like, if you, if they had an actual budget, they could make cool stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. When I saw that, I, I wanted my immediate reaction, but I didn't type it of course. Cause I'm like, no, it's too on, on point, but I'm like, I, I want Scott Atkins and Marco Zoror in a movie like a buddy cop movie where they get to yeah, just yeah, yeah. wreck shop and have a budget and time where they can develop and do insane fight scenes insane action and just that's what i would do because that's what i want to see i think we'll i think it's it looks like we might be getting some more of those mid mid or better budget action movies because you know there's a lot more companies coming out and you know thanks to john wick and the rise of um uh, 87, 11, they seem to have a lot more clout. So they can get a, a, a little bit more. I don't need a $100 million action movie. 20 million would be great. <laughs> Just look at, yeah, yeah. Look at, cause look at what we can get for five. <laughs> I, I think the problem is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Scott and a few other actors have said this is because it's a low budget film, you get certain people that will do the film and and you can get certain locations and you can save money by going to, you know, like, oh, my brain's gone blank, but there's a couple of, of European countries where a lot of stuff get Bulgaria. That's what I'm trying to think of. Bulgaria. You Didn't know. he just film in uh, uh, Maldives for like uh, yeah. Accident Man 2? It seems like a lot of places are going there because I saw Frank Gorillo and Isaac uh, Florentine just filmed a movie there. So there's got to be some sort of 
breaks for going and filming in those and, locations. And, and there are some countries that will always open their doors for Steven Seagal. There will never be a day when he doesn't have a new director DVD film coming no. out. But it either is that or it has to be a massive studio $200 million movie. The, the in-between seems to have died mostly because no one will work on them. Because you either can't afford the people that do the big stuff or the ones that do the small stuff, the studio's won't uh, oh no we're not having them and right. i think that's the real problem is it's not a case of the the, the mid-size died it's the fact that you either have to do a small film for the budget or you can't afford the big budget it's like there's no in between it's like a, a switch you know mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to fix that i don't because that's not unique to the film industry i feel like that's true of a lot of things now it's a you either have the the small level or you have to have an insane amount of money to get what feels like should be the standard you know right yeah uh video games seem the same way um there's a lot of <clears throat> yeah you see the big the big budget ones but then there's really not a there's not a small budget game anymore those are all just your you know iphone or ios games now are your smaller budget stuff but stuff that gets released on consoles that's like movie budgets. <laughs> They're expensive. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, if we want to have this conversation, I mean, video games surpassed films a long time ago as the most uh, financially profitable entertainment industry. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm surprised that in this day and age that they still can't seem to adapt the damn things. I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched it, but I, I can't escape it. But the Halo show... I'm probably never going to watch it because I've seen enough of it to know I'm not going to like it. But obviously, my Mortal Kombat episode was basically saying the same thing. But (laughs) most video game adaptations just don't seem to know how to do it. There are exceptions. Obviously, Sonic seems to be succeeding. But again, a lot of that comes down to the fact that the, the games they're adapting are very light on story. Yes, Sonic itself as a franchise has a shit ton of story and lore, but the films are very smartly going, we're not going there. We're going to stick to the originals where there was none of that. <laughs> right. And it's a fun, it, it's, they're more all, all ages type movies, so it's a lot more accessible. And there's a lot of parents who would be like, I'll take my kid to see that because at least I can laugh at something and enjoy what I'm seeing too because I grew up playing that Sonic game. Yes. <laughs> so... Yeah, you're right. There, that that's definitely the case, in terms of, um, I you know we we I'm surprised a lot of our favorite actors aren't doing more voice work or video game stuff. Like I'm surprised Scott hasn't done voice work or Frank Gorillo or any of those guys. They seem tailor made for it. They'd be perfect. Like for a Call of Duty type game and have their you know image in there. That'd be perfect. I think to be blunt, they're not big enough for a Call of Duty to want them. And I think if you only had their voice, well, that's not why most people watch them. They watch that's them for true. their for their physicality, yeah. for their Good point. their ability to do cool shit. To borrow Mike's quotes, the human special effects. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's just that, that that's just me secretly wanting our favorites to be in more more stuff. Oh, I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I I know that there's a lot of resentment at the moment in the voiceover industry because they're losing roles to celebrities that right frankly can't do voiceover work some can idris elba is a great example of one who can yeah but so many of them they come in and like uh, god knows what the mario movie is going to be like when that comes oh, out boy, with chris boy. pratt's mario 
and whoever the other guy is playing Luigi, but again, not somebody that I would have imagined as Luigi. And yeah, I don't know. It, it just it just feels like one of the last places where being cast because you're the right person for the role is now going away as well. And you know, even if it's just the voice, they want the big A-list celebrities. Like that's true. And it, I understand why they feel so annoyed by that because these, you know, it's their life. You know, this is what they've they've trained for. They're specifically good at this at this thing, and now right. they're being replaced by people that aren't, and being you know they're being paid twenty times as much as they've ever been paid. Right. I'm not looking forward to the Mario movie myself. So far, from what I've seen or what I've heard of it, I'm like, you know what? There's certain movies, certain games that don't need to be turned into movies. Mario was never one that I I, I play the game and go, you know what? I need to see more of this story. Like, <laughs> yeah, Sonic <laughs> Sonic makes sense because Sonic can run through, and Sonic had an actual like you know um, a cartoon that worked. Multiple um, cartoons, multiple cartoons, but that you know, and certain video games just translate well. Like they're talking about that new. Um, uh, Streets of Rage being made into one, and I'm a fan of Streets of Rage since I was, you know, that was, you know, I had the uh, original Sega and Sega Genesis. I was a Sega guy, but Streets of Rage could make sense because there's just enough story to be, you know, you have these three kind of rogue cops, I guess. <laughs> they are indeed rogue cops. If they yep. follow the story, they're vigilantes. The first yep. thing they do in the first game is quit the police force because the police force is corrupt. And refuses yep. to do anything about it because they're being paid by Mr. X. Yep. And yep. yes, so, I am also a Streets of Rage fan, <laughs> if you couldn't tell. Anyway, uh, massively off topic there, but I'm sure people will enjoy the conversation. Final thoughts on Navy SEALs, because it sounds to me like we've kind of uh, talked about <laughs> it as much as we're going <laughs> we to. <can. laughs> uh, yeah, Navy SEALs, su su super fun action movie from the 90s. A, a, a cool time where they were trying to create new action stars and it just didn't work out but i appreciate the movie that we got don't watch it for tactics just watch it for for pure fun and leave it at that the the thing is with that because i had this conversation with someone if you're watching a film typically and it's pre 2010 don't think about whether it's realistic or not. And no. I also think it's unfair sometimes when people say, oh, this isn't realistic. And it's like, unless you were a Navy SEAL, how the fuck do you know? Right. Like, I don't know. Me, I'm just don't get me, wrong. Yeah. me and you have just basically said all of that, but we're talking what about it. What the fuck it. do we know? <laughs> we're, well, there is that. But we're also talking about it 30 years later. Back then, people didn't have this same levels of knowledge because this stuff wasn't so openly talked about and known it's the same right. thing when uh it's going to annoy me was it a recent thing or was it anyway somewhere somehow i've said this before so apologize to the audience if this is recent but people didn't used to know so much about fighting you know the ufc wasn't a thing everybody didn't know everything about mixed martial arts and brazilian jiu-jitsu and people still thought Kung Fu was an effective form of self-defense and every man on the street hadn't decided that karate was rubbish, even though that's now come full circle because no one's learning karate. Karate's now become effective again. But, right. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's the point. It's none of this stuff used to be so readily available because the Internet didn't exist. People didn't share information like they do now. And so people wouldn't go to the cinema and watch Navy SEALs and go, that's unrealistic they'd go that was fun 
or they go that was rubbish but you know what i mean people seem to have changed what they judge a film on these days compared to when a lot of these was made and i think that's also why you get people that unfairly tear older films apart but they're doing it by today's standards which wasn't when the film was made that's an excellent point i think sometimes i i worry too much about that that's why i tend to apologize for the movie and i'm like you know what i don't have to apologize for the movie i shouldn't have to do that the movie that's not what the movie's intent was if the movie's intent was to be that way and it fails then that's on the movie but you're right and a lot of times i'll be honest with you when people complain to me about fight scenes or martial arts stuff i was like i'll, I'll be honest with you guys i've trained in martial arts for 15 years there's times you want a realistic fight scene and there's a lot of times you don't because a lot of times there's not a lot to show if it's truly realistic, there's not there's a lot of stuff that is not very flashy that makes a good view on the camera. So you want there to be flashy and fun. And that's why we watch those people because like that's not something everybody can do. Everybody can throw a straight punch if you're told if you're taught to a couple of times. Not everybody can jump and do a spinning three three sixty, you know, wheel kick. This is not gonna happen. So Yeah. It goes back to the ancient argument of nothing ever put to film in a fight scene is realistic because realistic fight scenes don't look good on camera that's true and mma especially is boring as fuck to watch because <laughs> it's all just grappling there's no way to make that entertaining films tried and then they decided no 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 wait this isn't working we, we're gonna right. go back to having actual strikes we'll do a bit of grappling and wrestling but realistically we're gonna stick to like you said we want spinning kicks. We want flashiness. I mean, even John Wick, which is, you know, for some people held up as realistic. And yeah, it does have some realism to it, but it's also very stylistic. It's not trying right. to be the ultimate realistic thing because the whole premise itself, it doesn't hold up to that kind of scrutiny. Right. No, what, what's, what's, what's cool about that is you get all the cool judo throws and you see people getting thrown up and landing and that's visually cool. <laughs> so and yeah, it's also and... effective because people drastically underestimate how much a throw can do damage and wind you as opposed yeah. to being punched in the face which for some people it might not even make them blink you know <laughs> yeah there's there's some psychos out there i've i've trained and we had a guy that you could put an armor on him and he wouldn't feel it till his arm was about to snap he's just one of those crazy people so he would tap knowing that that would possibly break him but I saw that guy get choked out three different times to where he just passed out because he he was just like, I don't have to tap yet because I'm not in pain. There's rare people out there like that. But I dare say if you throw that guy over your shoulder and he hits a concrete ground, that's going to hurt way more than anything I can do to him. <laughs> so. Which is it's, it's funny, too, because I said to you before we started recording, I just finished my rewatch of the Karate Kid trilogy. Yeah. And there isn't really a decent fight scene in the whole trilogy but that's debatable but i mean i'll fight you on that one chosen versus no <laughs> no no I, karate kid 2 is actually my favorite and chosen yeah he, he's he's got the best one but he steals the movie for me too whenever mr miyagi has a fight scene he almost never throws a strike he does plenty of reversals and throws but he does all of his damage by making the opponent hit the wall run into a mirror, smack his head on something. And it's like, it, it perfectly encapsulates what I think a lot of people have started to realize, which is that you can deal way more damage by not trying to deal damage. Yeah. Navy SEALs, super fun movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I was going to say something about Navy SEALs and then we went off topic again. 
but um i think it was to do with the fact of don't judge it don't judge it by today's standards you just let yourself have fun if you're going to watch it mm-hmm. agreed so on that bombshell i think we're going to end it here thank you very much for listening thank you very much to andy for joining and i will throw you over to myself and uh we'll tell you what we're going to talk about next time see you later guys see you guys thanks well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. That was the episode. As I said, we did go off topic a few times there, but I think that is just the nature of talking about Navy SEALs. It it makes you think about things that could have been, and that in turn will pretty much guarantee that you're going to start talking about other films that you wish had been, or actors that you wish you could will into projects that maybe don't exist, or things of that nature. As I say at the end of the episode, I think judging this film by today's standards is a bit unfair for some of its aspects. Uh, the Charlie Sheen character is not one of those aspects. Yes, there are some people that might say, well, it's an action film, you need a rule breaker, you need a risk taker, you need someone that's not going to follow the rules to create drama and tension, and it's like, well... Stallone and uh, Schwarzenegger and Van Damme and Bruce Willis, they all managed to have that type of character in their repertoire without dialogue that I would be very, very hesitant to put in front of some of my friends. So I, I don't really know why they made that character the way they did. I don't know how much of that was its film, how much of that was someone's influence. It, it, he just is, he is the worst part of this film beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I don't know why they did that. Regardless of your own personal opinion on Charlie Sheen's career, himself as an individual, at the time, he had made some very good films and would go on to make several more good films, and obviously eventually he would become a part of one or two really big popular sitcoms, depending on if that's your cup of tea or not. But I just feel like this film for him was such a misstep. I don't know why he did it unless he just really wanted to be in a big action film and uh, wanted the challenge, quote unquote, of playing an asshole, which wouldn't surprise me. But it just feels like they gave him no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And by the end of the film, he ain't any better than he was at the start, um, which is the point that both Andy and I agreed on. And I don't know. Anyway, that was Navy Seals. Next week, we are welcoming back the champion, the host of Action for Everyone and Adkins Undisputed. Mike Scott is returning to the show. He has also been on a couple of times before. He was the very first guest of this show. He joined me to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. And then he also uh, picked Hydra to talk about which was a great film that I probably wouldn't have checked out without Mike's recommendations. So both those episodes were a lot of fun. So I'm very happy that he's coming back because we are going to be talking about Time and Tide, which is, I think, one of Action Twitter's favorites. So I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing that one because I think we have uh, some really nice discussions in this episode. And hilariously, it's also kind of catching up on myself because for a very long time, this episode uh, included, you've been listening to recordings that were weeks old and Time and Tide was actually far more recent and uh, I'm actually running out of recordings. So yeah, I need to get on that and uh, start getting more content for you guys. But that's going to be next week's episode. Thank you for listening to the end of the show and I will see you in the next one. 
on the action and 